0: It's our prayer that this message from God's word will deeply impact
1: your life. My name is Rick and I'm the campus pastor here. Portico is one church, one message, many expressions. And we have three different campuses, one in Mississauga, one here in Milton, and another one that meets uh, all in Spanish and they meet in the building in Mississauga as well. But in all of our campuses and all of our services, the same message is preached and we're getting into a brand new sermon series for the next seven weeks actually this week and then six weeks following. And we're looking at the topic of searching for Jesus and can he be found. Now, one of the great age-old debates in our society is which sci-fi series is better, Star Wars or Star Trek. Now, I know, I know, I know some of you are very, very passionate about that, but if, if you're not aware of what Star Wars and Star Trek is, Star Trek is the American-based ship, the SS Enterprise, and there, it, was, it was based on exploring new frontiers into space based on what the creators of the series thought might look like uh, our world and what space travel and existence might look like coming into the future. Now, Star Wars, again, if you're not educated on these things, it's very, very different. Star Wars is like space cowboys from the past with laser swords and magical powers and a whole different storyline, nothing to do with one another. But some people lump them in together because both had weird creatures. They had hunky spaceship captains. They were, they're were they both currently owned by Disney. They're even directed by J.J. Abrams, some of the last couple of pictures. But if, if you compare the two franchises, Star Wars and Star Trek, some of you right now are just like, like losing your minds because you're like they're not the same at all. They're totally different. Is there is there is there anyone that's a devoted Trekkie or Star Wars person in the room? We got a few people. Uh, defend why Fletcher. Defend why one is better than the other. You're a Star Trek guy, right? You're a Star Wars guy. Oh, I'm sorry, I just defended. Now, t- <laughs> now tell us why Star Wars is much better than than uh, Star Trek. <laughs> His suit is way cooler, isn't it? Look what they're wearing. He's got like, and the, the lights. I love when if you came to our One Hope concert on Friday evening, we had we we had parking attendants out there, and on Friday evening you were parked by somebody carrying a double lightsaber. It was pretty amazing. He was out there flipping and doing Star Wars. Are, are there any Star Trek people in the room, though? You're much more uh, cl- closely aligned with Star Trek. Oh, we don't have any trekkies in the room nor at least nobody wants to admit it because nobody's raising raising their hand you can you can deeply offend people if you if you just compare star wars and star trek people get really passionate about stuff that isn't even real don't they like what about what about batman is is batman a superhero or or <laughs> <laughs> See, people look at that. I'm I'm a Batman enthusiast. I even have my little Batman lunch pail. But some people will say he's just a guy dressed dressed up in pajamas with lots of neat toys. He's not a neat, he's not a superhero. Or what about this one? Here's a great debate that we have: the Loch Ness monster and Bigfoot. Are those are those grainy images of just like a seahorse and a guy dressed up in a gorilla suit, or is that an actual gorilla gorilla thing out in out in the American Midwest? And the Loch Ness monster, if you know, is over in Scotland. And people. Get at these grainy pictures and they say no these are these are real and there there's there's even a sad strange group of people who believe the myth that a toronto team can win a championship even with decades of of evidence to the contrary there there there's no way that a toronto team is ever going to win again we have watched them just self-destruct in great moments when they could have been winning none of these things are real (laughs) see is still believe dave believes leafs right yeah, that's right. They they made it if, if now if if you don't know, the Leafs are in the eighth and final playoff spot currently, right now. So there's seven better teams than that, probably like nine or ten, but Dave is holding out the faith that not only they're gonna make the playoffs, they're going to the Stanley Cup. None of these things are real. <laughs> but we but we we passionately debate and we rearrange our lives around 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 myths. And many people in our society lump Jesus into the same boat. And they say that Jesus is a myth created to draw attention and, and we, people surround their lives passionately around a person who never even existed, isn't even real, and it's just been a fabrication of people of faith and religion over the years but there has to be something real to the story of Jesus. If you think about this, time on earth is literally divided by when we say he lived and when he died. There's there's before Christ and then it's it's Greek, but it's after his death is now we say AD, right? But it's actually or sorry, it's a Latin term, but it's but we say it's BC and it's AD. It's before and after Christ. Today there's approximately 2.2 billion Christian Christ followers on Earth today. That's 32 percent of the planet are Christ followers, which means that one third of the world would be aligned with us, but two thirds of the world think that we're completely nuts, or that we that we get together here because we're misguided, or because we're gullible. Maybe maybe some would say we're just naive, we're in need of a crutch, or we're we're uneducated. But there here's and that's that's the breakdown of world faith set, there's it is 32% of the world, a, a, a mass percentage, yet that leaves 68% of the world saying, mm, you guys have followed an incorrect truth, or religion is all kind of a, just a myth that's been created so that people who need something to believe in can believe in something. And if there is no Jesus, as we're in this series searching for Jesus, if Jesus didn't exist, then Christianity should not exist. You should be in your beds this morning. It's cold, it's early, like some of you are just getting off of holidays. There's no reason for you to be here if Jesus didn't exist. And if he did exist as a human being, but he wasn't the God-man that we say he was, fully 100% God and fully 100% human at the same time, which doesn't even make sense, but if he isn't that, then his death, and what we just proclaimed his death and resurrection is meaningless for our lives. If he was just a person, a good person, then his death means nothing for me because there's lots of good people that die all the time for great causes, but it means nothing for me personally and if there is no resurrection, then there is no hope to reconcile humanity to God other than what Leslie was saying that, that for thousands of years people believe you know there has to be death if there's sin, then there has to be death, so we'll put our our sin on this Innocent animal, and the animal will maybe appease God for a time being, because God's perfect, and you and I we're not. Even the Bible speaks of this. First Corinthians fifteen and fourteen said, "And if Christ has not been raised, I love this. What I <laughs> love this what Paul says: If Christ has not been raised, do we have First Corinthians fifteen and fourteen on your hand? If Christ has not been raised, Paul puts it so succinctly. Our preaching, what I'm doing this morning, is useless. <laughs> And so is your faith. Well, thanks for pointing that out this morning, Paul. If, if we don't truly have certainty that Jesus lived, died, was God, then what I'm doing is useless and your faith is pointless. So this morning, what we want to do, and as we get into this new series, because we know that 68% of the world would say, well, it is useless and pointless. And some of us even in this room who meet together for church would say, yeah, I'm not 100% convinced. I like community. I like what happens in church. And I know there's there's something out there, but I'm not really sure that I can say 100% it's Jesus and he's the only way. And for some some people, are just going to join us on this journey because they're just curious about, well, what are you guys talking about? What do you Really teach. So, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through what not only the Bible said about Jesus, but what history said about Jesus, and even those who criticized who Jesus was and what he said. We're going to walk through all of those, and then we're going to go through a six-week series afterwards saying who and looking at the claims of Christ, who he said he was, and why that was not only important then, but why it's super important for us here in 2017. I'm not going to make that mistake. It's 2017. I've already blown that one two or three times in the last week. But where you land on the Star Wars, Star Trek, Batman, Superman, where you land, and even it, where you land about the least, Dave, I am holding up the faith too. I love what I see in Austin Matthews and, the, and Frederick Anderson. What a goalie man. I mean, we're having some good years. Where you, learn, where you land on those debates is point, is inconsequential. It doesn't really matter a whole lot. The Jesus debate, that has significant impact on your life, your present, as well as your future. I grew up in a home where I had one parent that came to faith as we were growing up, and it split our family. It split our siblings. It split my parents. It caused separation between relationally because faith and belief in Christ influences how we spend our time, how we spend our money, where our hearts are. The most significant resources that we would have are our heart, our time, our finances. Those are influenced by our faith and our alignment with Jesus Christ, and it separates people and where we land on this debate is so critically important to how we experience life on this world, how we work, how we spend our time, how we have our relationships. So this morning whether you're listening as a skeptic, my challenge would be would you stay open to your to the debate one more time and just listen to what the Bible, to what history and to what the critics of Jesus had said. And if you're be- if you're listening in as a believer, would you listen with ears to help you engage discussion with friends or loved ones or even reconsider for yourself? What does the Bible, what does history have to say about this one who we call Jesus? And if you're listening to someone who's truly seeking faith, just open your heart to see how history points to the true existence of Jesus and the impact that he had on this world. So as we begin this morning, we're going to jump right in and we're going to look at the biblical sources. We're going to look at three different kinds of sources. So let's start with the Bible. and Let's see what the Bible actually had to say about Jesus. Not, not necessarily what he said, but what the Bible said about Jesus. And if you're taking notes, you can either do it on your device, on your app. You also have notes right in your bulletin. You can download the Portico app. They're all there digitally as well with, your, uh, with the scripture verses there. But the first four books of the Bible, they're called the New Testament, if you're new to the Bible, they're four books, and they're all written about the stories of when Jesus did public work. And he lived for 33 years on earth. For the first 30 years, we don't have much much record about his life. It is written in two of the Gospels. But the last three years of his life, there's these four stories, these four letters that were written, and they were written by two disciples, Matthew and John. One was written by one of the disciples' scribes. His name was Mark. He was Peter's scribe. And then one was written by a Greek doctor, and his name was Luke. And they were all written from different perspectives for different purposes to different audiences. Now, Luke wrote to this governor, whose name was Theophilus, and he wanted to share the story of Jesus with Theophilus, and Theophilus didn't believe and didn't know who Jesus was, but he was curious. He was one of these ones who was seeking. He had heard a bit about Jesus, but didn't. this was after he was gone, and after he had uh, gone back up to heaven, and he, that's why Luke was writing. Matthew and Mark wrote to inform the Jews who had been following uh, Jewish culture and Jewish religion for thousands of years, and we're saying, no, we want to tell you the story of Jesus from a Jewish perspective. And Matthew starts his book with the genealogy of, of Jesus in, in Jewish family, and he was documenting it. Now, when we, get to, when we get to John, he wrote his book much later than everybody else. He actually wrote it when he was in exile, he'd been sent away to the island of Patmos, and he was going he was, he was to die there. He was separated from everybody else, kind of like um, house jail. And it was written, we think, between the years 90 AD and 100 AD. So this is long past when Jesus was on earth, long past when Matthew and Mark wrote their Gospels, when Luke had written to Theophilus. And John was a man. He had seen Jesus live. He had experienced the miracles of Jesus. He had even performed his own miracles, John, and now he was going to die because of the faith that he had in Jesus. And John sits down to write the last book of the Bible, which is the fourth book of the New Testament. It's not in chronological order always. But John wrote us the, to write to the story about how much Jesus loved people and what his love looked like and why it was so important and give a better overall perspective on who, how Jesus came to earth, why he came to earth, what he did, and what it meant for us. That's, that's what John's book is. And if we look at the first five verses, let's see how John frames his letter. Here's what it says, John 1, 1 through 5. You can follow along in your U version. I don't think we have this on the screen. But here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and it's a capital W there, so we know that John is referring to Jesus, calling him the Word. The Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him... Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is how John frames his letter. And John wrote this about more than a human that was his close friend that he lived with on earth. He's talking about he was there at the beginning. He wrote this about a man who was God and who was there to create the world and then showed up on earth to reveal to the world, how much God loved this group of people. But as you go through the Gospels, there are blatant contradictions. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you go to the same stories that these four individuals were writing and writing to different people, you will see Mark tells a story about somebody when Jesus came and he was healing a blind man. And then Matthew, if you look at the same story, the same situation, Matthew, Matthew says, no, there was two blind guys that were actually being healed. And so people say, time out. How could you have both been there seeing a blind guy get healed or seeing two blind guys get healed. This, this kind of points to maybe this didn't really happen. Even at the crucifixion it, itself, that whole story of Jesus seems a little bit off. Rome never crucified thieves, and they said Jesus hung between two thieves is what is what one of the gospels will say. Rome didn't. The Romans never killed people who stole. That 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 doesn't make sense. They jailed people who stole. So other gospels wrote it that they, they were just criminals. They didn't specify what act they had. And if you go through the gospels, there are a number of distinct contradictions. And these guys, if these disciples are writing a story that they want the world to believe, why would they? Why would they have blatant contradictions that would that would bring into question the legitimacy the legit. Legit, yeah, I can't get that legitimacy of Jesus' story and what he said he did. But the more you study history, you know what we find out: eyewitness examples don't actually point towards a story not being true. I worked with our police services when I was in my twenties for for five years, and I learned this: that the least reliable source of evidence is somebody who is there watching it. Because you will sit there and you say, well, how tall was the person? You will regularly get an individual being described with a variance of about five inches in height. And if it's, a, if it's a six foot three person looking at a five foot nine person, they'll go, he was like five, 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 four. And if you get like a four foot eight person looking at a person that's five, foot six, he was like six feet tall. I could not believe it. And if you get somebody looking at this same individual and this person has blonde hair, but So the, the person describing it has blonde hair, and they look at this person, and their hair is darker than their own hair. They'll say, well, they have brown hair. But then you get someone with dark brown hair, almost black hair, they'll look at that person, and they'll say, oh, they had blonde hair. And whatever. And, and then you'll get somebody who's at the front of the crowd, and they say there was 13 people lined up across. And then you get somebody who's at the back of the crowd, and they said, I think I saw about six people. Well, how were you there seeing a five-foot-four, six-foot-tall, brown-haired, blonde-haired person, and there was six or 13 of them? How could those two people be there. And what we find out that actually truth, true stories, retelling history actually come out with a whole mix of different stories. And one of the things that points towards the legitimacy of Jesus' story is that there were all different takes and perspectives on what happened at different times. If you were alive during the JFK assassination, you know the drama that surrounded that, or if you've gone back and studied that. Some of you were there, some of us have studied it in history class. I'm not going to point out who was there, and but we're all... <laughs> we j- different perspectives right <laughs> but people have eyewitness accounts and then there's pictures that tell a completely different story and they say well those pictures must have been manipulated because i remember what i saw in this picture never Uh, And and, and this picture shows a completely different story. They would say evidence was mishandled because there was evidence that was there and now it's no longer there. There's things that people are sure that have been manipulated or left out because they saw it. But what we see and how we tell, how we remember things is not always 100% accurate. And if you're going to set up a lie to convince the world, you get your story straight. If these 12 guys were coming together and say, listen, they killed Jesus... So we have to go, but now we don't know what we're going to do. We're going to create our own religion, Christianity. We have to get our story straight. We're going to go to all different regions. We're going to tell the exact same stories, sound the exact same. It's going to be airtight, uh, debate-proof. We're going to make sure that everybody hears the same thing. But they didn't. You know why they didn't? They went out and they told what they saw, and they saw different things. And sometimes it looked differently, and sometimes they interpreted it differently. And the contradictions actually point to the legitimacy of the story that the disciples were sharing. When we create our messages, we have... Um, we have five different people in the room, and we have five different uh, teaching pastors. and And Joe, who's just recently on our staff, he, had, he has a friend. His name is um, Jim Wallace, and I don't know if you've seen the movie "God's Not Dead." But um, Joe was talking with him as he was uh, making making part two. And Jim Wallace used to be a police investigator. And uh, in in the movie, Jim is on trial, uh, defending some of the claims of Christ. And I want to show about a two and a half minute clip of of Jim describing not only this same concept, but what it meant when we examine the claims of Christ.
0: Not not one. That's uh, often popular on TV, but our department has never had the good fortune of solving a cold case with DNA. Well, How do most of these cases get solved? Often by examining eyewitness claims. Uh, witness claims that were made many years earlier, even though often our... Witnesses are now deceased. Forgive my ignorance, Mr. Wallace, but how is that possible? Well, we have a number of techniques that we can use to test the reliability of an eyewitness, including something called forensic statement analysis. That's a discipline where we scrutinize the statements of eyewitnesses and looking at what they choose to minimize, what they choose to emphasize, what they omit altogether, how they expand time or contract time. And when we examine these kinds of eyewitness accounts, we can usually tell who's lying and who's telling the truth and even who the guilty party is. And Did you apply this skill set any time outside of your official capacity? Yes, I applied my expertise to the death of Jesus at the hands of the Romans, and I actually looked at the Gospels as I would any other set of forensic statements. Within a matter of months, I determined that the four Gospels, written from different perspectives, contained the eyewitness accounts about the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But isn't it true that these Gospel accounts vary widely in what they say? that there are numerous discrepancies between these accounts? Absolutely, but that's exactly what we should expect. I don't quite understand that. Well, reliable eyewitness accounts always differ slightly in the way they recall the story. They're coming to it from different geographic perspectives, their history, even where they are located in the room. When I examined the gospels, I was trying to determine if these were accurate, reliable accounts in spite of any differences that might be between the accounts. Ah, and as a devout Christian, You feel you succeeded? No, Mr. Kane. I think you misunderstand me. When I began this study, I was a devout atheist. I began examining the Gospels as a committed skeptic, not as a believer. You see, I wasn't raised in a Christian environment, although I do think I have an unusually high regard for the value of evidence. I'm not a Christian because I was raised that way or because I hoped it would satisfy some need or accomplish some goal. I'm simply a Christian because it's evidentially true.
1: So fascinating that when you study the Bible just as history, it actually points to a, it actually points to a story that tells us a completed accurate retelling of what was happening on life in on earth in Jesus life at that time. And as this prosecutor just pointed out, that's enough to satisfy many believers who have already chosen to believe. But for those of us who are listening in and say, hey, I haven't chosen to believe, and it's not enough for me just to look at the Bible, we're going to go to a second set of sources. We're going to go to uh, historical sources because the Bible is biased. We know this, right? It was written to persuade people of what these individuals already believe. Historians attempt to write unpartisan facts. They want to share facts so that people can just see life as it was not from any bias. Now, we know that there always is bias to some degree when a person sits down to write to pen and paper. But as time has passed, history has shown that the places that were discussed in the Bible that were that they said here's where Jesus taught, here's where he lived, here are the kinds of things that were going on, they will find out that indeed there was a Jewish man called Jesus actually in, in, uh, in Israel, there would have been thousands of people who were called Jesus, but there was one who stood out as a religious zealot and had many followers. Josephus was a Roman historian. He lived in the first and second century, and he documented the Jewish world for Rome. That was, that was his job. And here's what he wrote about Jesus, um, when, and he was writing between the year 37 and 101 AD. Here's, here, here's his writing. Now, around this time lived Jesus, a wise man, for he was a worker of amazing deeds and was a teacher... Of people who gladly accept the truth, he won over both many Jews and many Greeks. Pilate, the Roman governor, he doesn't have to um, describe that because uh, he's re- he's writing for the Romans. Pilate, when he heard him, um, when he heard him accused by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross. But those who had first loved him did not cease doing so. To this day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not disappeared unbiased documentation that we know there was a man named Jesus who existed at the time that the Bible says he existed. A few weeks ago, when we were in our Breathe series, we talked about the pool of Bethsaida and how the waters would would stir, and there was supposedly healing power within these waters, and it was just down from the temple in in, uh, Jerusalem. And there was all these historical excavations going on, and they couldn't find what this pool was, and they said, well, if you're talking about places that didn't even exist, maybe this story isn't true. When Joe was in Israel a couple of years ago, we've got a picture of a, of a historical uh, excavation going on right now, and the pool of Bethesda, which is just down from where the temple is, is exactly where they said that it has its described in the Bible. We've got a picture of the garden tomb, where they said this is where they believe that the tomb of, of Jesus was, a tomb where it shouldn't be in a garden, is there as they started to excavate. And as we go through history, all these things that were pointed out in the Bible are now being legitimized as we look at it from a historical perspective. We go to the Greek historian, Thallus was his name. He, he, he specialized in the history of the Mediterranean, uh, the Mediterranean, and he wrote about a, a total eclipse that was accompanied by an earthquake in a region called Judea, which was very not, was, was rarely written about. But at the year of Jesus' death, here's what Thallus wrote in 52 AD. On the whole world there pressed the most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Thallus in the third book of, of his history calls, as appears to be without reason, an eclipse of the sun, which goes right along with the story that we read about in the scriptures about how he was killed and he gave up his spirit. And the earth went dark, and there was an earthquake. And here's this uh, historian again writing to legitimize the claim of Christ. Even our modern day even our uh, the greatest atheist of the modern day, Richard Dawkins, now admits I can't refute that Jesus lived. And again, these were not individuals who were trying to prove Christ; they were just writing down fact that there was somebody named Jesus, that some amazing things happened, and a whole bunch of people. Followed him. And if you love history, I could go on and on. The deeper you study it, the more undeniable it becomes that Jesus existed as a human being. But his claims go deeper than that, than just living as a person. He claimed he was God. And that's the thing that most people will find frustrating or difficult to believe. And that's the thing that separates us. So this morning we're going to end up looking at the critical sources. And when we look at the people who criticize and try to fight against Jesus, actually a stronger argument is even made for the claims of Christ. Because when a person comes, they have no stories, for, uh, no time for the stories of, of, of Jesus being God. They could say, "Sure, he maybe existed, but he's not God." And they get angry. People get upset because there's these, they feel the world and the church is being manipulative and saying, and and, and putting out a story that can't possibly be true, that we think maybe we can even refute it with history. And we're giving people false hope and taking valuable time and money all over a myth, a lie. And yet multiple times when people have sat down to try and disprove Christ, they're all the more convinced that Jesus did exist and he was who he said he was. If you're interested in reading some more about this, we would recommend this book, The Case for Christ. And Lee Strobel was an investigative reporter. He lived in, uh, just, just outside of Chicago, and he sat down to do the exact same thing that, that uh, Jim Wallace did and, and try to disprove Christ, because his wife had been going to this church, and, and he felt she was being lied to and manipulated, so he sat down to try and disprove Christ, and this is his findings and his, his story of coming to faith in Christ as he sat down to disprove it. Jim Wallace's book is called Cold Case Christianity, kind of goes through the same kinds of things, and I believe the links to purchase those are right in there in the app if you're following on the notes, but some great reading if you want to get into that stuff. But did you know that even we had that, that pie chart up before, and 32% of the world believes in Christ. The other world's major religion, the Quran, discusses Jesus' role as a teacher and as a prophet 93 times and attributes to him as the Son of Mary and as the Word of God. Those are the titles that the, even the Quran gives Jesus. Even the greatest threats to Christianity, Islam and our Richard Dawkins, our modern atheists, They know that he lived, and they know that he had power to influence. So the question is, what are you going to do with this? Because over the next six weeks, we'll be having six conversations with Jesus, who Jesus said he was, self-described titles of Jesus. In Luke 19 and 10, Jesus, whom we know existed, and whom we know that there's accuracy in the Bible, we know history points to his existence. Here's what he said about his purpose. Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that term lost refers to the fact that we belong to God, that we're not random accidents. We're not, that nature didn't just happen upon us. We're, we're not, we are chosen, we are created by God, we belong to God. We're uniquely created individuals whom God crafted because he loves us. And we went on our own journey looking for self, maybe even looking for, to live for good instead of living for God. And if you're here today or listening in later, would you commit to at least journeying along with us for the next six weeks, examining who Jesus said he was? We know he existed. We know he caused quite a stir that still reverberates to the day to the tune of 2.2 billion followers. And if you go back to John, Jesus' closest friend on earth, he's described as the one whom Jesus loved. He said he wrote so that the world would really know who Jesus was and why he's important for us. We go to John 1 and 14 a little bit further in John's introduction said, the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. He was full of grace and full of truth. And John's telling us that we need to change the focus even just to searching for Jesus, to being with Jesus and starting to understand that he came to be with us. And in 35 minutes, I can make a fairly compelling case that those who knew him, those who hated him, and even those who just look back to tell about history, they can say, yeah, Jesus existed as a man. I want to read for you a short compilation about those who have history who have no faith describe Jesus. These are, these are the words that history says about who he was. He was born and lived in Israel. He was born to a virgin and had an earthly father who was a carpenter. He was a teacher who taught that through repentance and belief, all followers would become brothers and sisters. He was a wise man who claimed to be God and the Messiah. He had unusual magical powers and performed miraculous deeds. He healed the lame. He accurately predicted the future. He was persecuted by the Jews for what he said. He was betrayed by his close friend, Judas. He was beaten with rods, forced to drink vinegar and wear a crown of thorns. He was crucified on the eve of the Passover festival, and this crucifixion occurred under the direction of Pilate during the time of Tiberius. On the day of his crucifixion, the sky grew dark and there was an earthquake. Afterwards, he was buried in a tomb, and the tomb was found later to be empty. He appeared to his disciples, resurrected from the grave, and showed them his wounds. These disciples then told others Jesus was resurrected, and he ascended into heaven. Jesus' disciples and followers upheld a high moral code. The disciples were also persecuted for their faith And they were martyred without changing their claims. They met regularly to worship Jesus, even after after his death. That's what the world who doesn't believe says about Jesus. (laughs) Searching and finding him, that's easy. Knowing Jesus, that takes a lifetime. It's a journey that never completes. And what I love about our church is, is a church full of people who began the journey at different times in their life and are at different places in the journey. Some just starting, some just curious. Some have been journeying this for 60, 70 years. Some began as kids, some came in as adults. But can I be the first one in 2017 to encourage you, just reopen your hearts to the claims of Christ. You might be living off a faith that was partially created in routine and less on 100% of the words of Christ. That's what we're going to study for the next six weeks, only who Jesus said he was. And I believe that there are people that will join us along the way to be in this study. If you know somebody, whether it's somebody in your neighborhood, somebody you work with, this is going to be an ideal time over the next two months. Just to invite somebody into church, if they don't want to come to church because that's kind of too big of a step, have them listen in online. Our podcasts go up. Uh, There's a video one from Mississauga up on Tuesday, and then our audio one's from, uh, if they want to listen in Spanish, they can listen in Spanish. (laughs) If they want to listen to me or one of the teachers from Mississauga, those will go up Wednesday on our podcast. Invite somebody in to this this journey. Even myself, I didn't come into this journey until it was into my mid-teenage years, and I started to consider, who is Jesus? Is what he said important for my life? And do I want to devote my life to him? Regardless of your purpose, would you join us this winter as we search to discover and know this man called Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for an opportunity to get together to worship and um, to look at who the world says you were. And I pray that each one of us open our heart and our minds over the next few months so that we would just listen to your words as they were written down. And the Bible says that, it's, th- these aren't just words we're going to study. They can become life, and they are actual truth that we can align our lives to. And I pray just as we look at those six statements that you said, whom you, whom you said you were, God, that it would reshape the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we worship, the way that we work. They would reshape our relationships, and they would put our trust firmly in you. And God, for anyone that's unsure of this journey, I ask you that you give them courage and confidence that this is a, a valuable journey, and that At the end of it, they'll find truth in who you are. So thanks, God, again, for this opportunity. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.